good morning. Will you stand and let's sing together. The sound of the saints. sound so full it cracks the
Amen. Please be. Well, good morning. You can have a seat. Good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. We're excited that you're here and we've gathered together to, to worship the Lord this morning. We come to give him praise, to give him the honor that he alone deserves. So we just want to welcome you as guests. If this is your first time here, you'll see there in the pew rack in front of you, there's a little white guest registration card. And if you can fill that out and then a little bit later in the service, you can drop it in the offering plate. It's a great gift for us. It's a great way for us to know you by name and be able to connect with you. And you can indicate on there uh, to receive our newsletter. You can indicate on there things that we can pray for you about. We'll do that each Monday morning in our staff meetings. I want to remind you guys, there's going to be a group of us going to Guatemala in about 12 days. We'll be, uh, gosh, by this time, we'll be halfway there. We, I think we've got to leave the church at 2 a.m., so it's an early morning flight. One way that you can help us besides praying for us, we're still short on some of those uh, items that you can leave in the drop box. There's a list of them there in your worship guide. You can look that up. There's about a half a dozen things that you can bring, and, and that'll help support our trip. And we'll use those items each morning in the classrooms to do the crafts and to do the uh, activities that we're going to be doing with those young kids. And so we'd uh, love for your support on those, uh, those items as we take those with us to Guatemala and, and use those to do the ministry that we're involved with over there. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll continue to worship. God, we thank you for uh, just the opportunity to gather together and, and just to uh, see uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and to be able to encourage one another and, and love on each other and, and uh, challenge each other from your word. And Lord, I pray as we're, we're here today that our, our time today is beneficial. Lord, that you don't allow us to leave as the same people that we walked in here as. God, we thank you for your love. And I pray this morning as we, as we hear a challenge from your word that uh, you just... Help us to apply it to our lives and to leave here differently. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us and let's sing together. We're trading our sorrows. We're going to trade them all away.
alone in my sorrows and dead in my sin. Lost without hope and no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. Amen. When death was arrested, my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty
Lord a hand. Yes, that's it. Thank you, God. Thank you. We come before you just crowning you with the crown that belongs to you. Crown of majesty, crown of glory. We just want to sing majesty to you, Lord. Crown him with many crowns.
you are the God who reigns forevermore. We come before you this morning just lifting you up in worship. The crown belongs to you and no other. And so, Lord, this morning we want to crown you with praise. We want to crown you with glory. We want to, we want to crown you with, with acknowledging that you are God and we are not. And so, Lord, we pray that you will let us come before you this morning. May our songs our songs be a sweet, sweet sound to your ears. May our hearts be a blessing to your hearts. Ultimately, Lord, may our worship put a smile on your face. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today on this Memorial Day weekend. I just want to voice our appreciation on this Memorial Day weekend for those who have served our country and given their lives in service to procure the freedom that we enjoy in our nation. We are grateful for their sacrifice and we gather in the name of Jesus who made an even greater sacrifice to purchase our eternal freedom and we have given praise and honor to him. Share just a couple of things before we look at God's word. Uh, we're in the midst of finish line, our campaign uh, for capital giving. We had great response to our commitments, our commitments for the giving over the next three years above our goal. We praise God for that. Next Sunday is First Fruit Sunday. So if you're participating in this uh, campaign, it's week one of 156 weeks. It begins our giving next week. And we're encouraging everyone who participates uh, to bring a finish line offering next week, even if you're uh, giving monthly or quarterly or whatever, would you just bring a token offering because we're going to dedicate those initial offerings to the Lord next Sunday. So in, your, in the pews next Sunday will be a different color envelope that will have this red border and our finish line logo. And those of you who, members of our church, receive envelopes in the mail and you get these red envelopes and it's still going to say finish the race for one month. They're a month behind. It's not our fault. It's their fault. They promise they'll fix it by your July offerings, but it'll still go to finish line, even though so it says finish the race. So we're excited about that as we begin our giving next uh, week. I want to share with you that a week from tomorrow begins our vacation Bible school, and early registration closes this Wednesday. You can register either online or you can pick up a paper form and fill it out today. 
but by this Wednesday, then that will close. Anyone can come anytime. You just have to show up on the day and register. After Wednesday, you just show up Monday morning or whatever morning and register on the spot. But it'll save you some time in line if you've got a lot of kids, and we hope you bring a lot of kids if you register early. So advanced registration, either on paper or online, closes this Wednesday. Would you pray for our Vacation Bible School and help us invite people to come? I'm sharing a series of sermons and uh, May and June on family life. We've looked at different aspects of family life, singles. Uh, Tim talked to graduates last week. We've looked at marriage and divorce and remarriage. Today we want to look at relationships between husbands and wives in marriage. We're going to begin by Bible trivia. Do you like to play trivia? So we're going to have a Bible trivia question. We're going to look at what Peter has to say about the relationship of husbands and wives in the first letter of Peter in the Bible in just a moment. So here's the Bible trivia question for you. Now we've got a, a prize that will be given for the correct answer. So I'll need you to raise your hand and not shout out because I won't know who's first. So if you know the answer, raise your hand. There are prizes involved in this. The Bible trivia question is, was Peter married, yes or no, and how do we know from the Bible whether or not Peter was married? Was Peter married, yes or no, and where or how in the Bible do we know that? Raise your hand if you know the answer. I'm going to say the first one I saw raised was here. Uh, was he married, yes or no? Yes, and how do we know that? Because he had a mother-in-law, that's right. If you have a mother-in-law, you're married. So that is correct answer. We'll look at those in a second. So uh, we're going to give away a copy of the CD Crimson Gospel that is our choir and our soloists. And uh, the song that they started out with this morning, uh, Sound of the Saints, is on this CD. And I have listened to this over and over. It is great. They did a great job. If you don't have one, you can buy one in the bookstore, but Sheila gets one free. If you've already got one, give it to a friend or relative. Very good. Congratulations. So let's look at, there are really two places in the Bible. Yeah, let's give Sheila a hand. That's right. There are two places in the Bible that indicate this. First of all, as she mentioned, Mark 1.30 says that uh, Simon, that's another name for Peter, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. So Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and the, the ministry of Jesus was out of Peter's house, it seems, in, in Capernaum for, uh, for a year or so there. And uh, so um, you may have thought about these disciples were just single guys going around with Peter. No, they, uh, Peter had a wife. He had a family uh, during that time. The other way we know that is in 1 Corinthians 9.5. You could have given this answer as well. 1 Corinthians 9.5, Paul is talking about his right to have support. And he says, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers, interestingly, the brothers of Jesus, the half-brothers of Jesus, uh, who did not believe during his time on earth, either by the resurrection or by Pentecost, had come to believe, and now they're preaching, and they're married, and Cephas, which is another name for Peter. So Cephas, or Peter, took a believing wife, had a believing wife, and she went with him on his missionary journey. So those are the two places in the Bible that we know that Peter was married. And so late in his life, Peter then comes to teach us about the relationships of husbands and wives 
in 1 Peter 3. And we just want to encourage and strengthen marriages. And here's the two commands that he gives. He says, wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, honor or respect or be considerate of your wives. Now let's look at those two. First of all, to wives in 1 Peter 3, 1, he says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. In the same way, in the passage before, in chapter 2, he had talked about you need to submit to government authorities. And uh, he talked about how Christ had submitted to the cross. And now he says, wives, in the same way. And in the chapter before, he has said that your newfound freedom in Christ, you don't want that to malign the gospel. And so there needs to be submission in your lives to government and to other authorities so that it will bring the gospel a good repute. So he says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands. Now, boy, this is really misunderstood a lot and really maligned a lot and abused a lot, this command. So let's talk about what this really means. Let's first of all talk about what it doesn't mean and make that clear, okay? This doesn't mean, first of all, that wives are to submit to abuse from their husbands. Uh, the Me Too movement has brought a lot of needed attention to the uh, uh, prevalence of abuse uh, uh, of women in our society. The Centers for Disease Control says that one out of every four women experiences some level of physical abuse. That, that's incredible. Uh, and it's, they say, not the CDC, but another survey says that church-going men are 73% less likely to be abusers. That's good. But if there's any in the church, that's wrong. So let's just say this really clearly it's wrong for a, a husband in any way to abuse a spouse. And probably I'm talking then in this number of people, according to statistics, to some who are experiencing in a marriage some kind of domestic abuse. And that's wrong. And critics of the Bible are seizing on this command to say, yeah, the Christian culture has sort of have sort of fed that culture of abuse that we're saying because it says wives submit to your husbands and it sort of puts down women they're saying and feeds into that prevalence of abuse and so we want to make clear first of all from the outset that's not what this means and uh, the president of the seminary that I went to lost his job this week because he had uh, suggested in a sermon that a wife ought to stay in an abusive situation. And so it's been a big issue among Southern Baptists this week. So I want to make clear that uh, this command does not say or promote or we ought to tolerate any kind of abuse. If you're in that situation, then you need to remove yourself from danger. You need to call 1-800-799-SAFE. 1-800-799-SAFE is the domestic abuse hotline. And uh, you need to call the authorities whom God has given civil authorities to punish evildoers and to restrain that evil and prevent that. But secondly, I want to say that this command doesn't mean that husbands and wives are unequal. It does not speak to inequality. And you say, well, how could there be Submission, if there's equality, don't those two conflict? And my answer to you is no. Husbands and wives are completely equal in status 
but God made them different for her. There's difference and deference in roles. And if you can't understand how those can go together, let me point you to the example of the Trinity. The Trinity is in many ways a model for the family. And one way is that the, the Father and the Son are completely co-equal from all, from all eternity. The Father and Jesus, completely equal in status. And yet the Bible says that the Son is going to submit himself to the Father. Let me read that to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25. He, that is Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So one day, Jesus, who's now reigning in the hearts of believers, is going to reign worldwide, and everything is going to be subject or in submission to him. Then it says in verse 28, and when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to, same Greek word as our word submit to in 1 Peter 3, 1, will submit to or be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. So, even in the Trinity, there's those who are co-equal, but their roles are different, and there's no jealousy or competition, and the Son gladly, when all things are submitted to Him, submits Himself to the Father. I would say to you also, in explaining what this does not mean, because it's often misunderstood, wives submit to your husbands, does not mean that a wife should not try to influence her husband, or should not ever disagree with her husband. It does not mean that. Um, God oftentimes puts couples together. If you're married, I bet you'll say that this is true in your marriage in some ways. He often puts people with different gifts or abilities together and you balance one another. In your marriage, one of you may be a spender and one of you a saver. And if that's true, that sort of helps to balance. One of you may be an extrovert, real social person, and then the other of you sort of a sort of a stay-at-home, sort of a loner, and you sort of balance each other. One of you may be a planner and one of you spontaneous. And if that's true in your marriage, it's not always true, but if it is, you see how God uses, you have every right to influence one another, to try to get the other one to be different, to be better. That's not what this means, that you don't do that. And finally, it doesn't mean that you disobey God or enable someone to disobey God. Just as we submit to government, but if that government does not honor the higher authority of God, we have not only the right, but the responsibility to say no. Our country was founded on a rebellion from an illegitimate authority that would not be submitted to. I had a, I had a wife not long ago who talked to me and said, my husband's an alcoholic, and, and he asked me to go get alcohol for him, and I'm afraid not to because if I don't, he'll just... Uh, He'll just go and, and, and maybe uh, get arrested. And I said, don't enable him in that way. Don't submit to him in that way. You tell him you're not going to do that. And when he tell him as soon as he leaves the driveway, you're calling the police and tell him where they're going. So you don't, that doesn't, that's not what it means. All right, then what does this mean? It means to wives that the Bible calls you to, to be on your husband's team if at all possible. It, it says to follow your husband's leadership if he's headed in the right way. Would you follow his leadership? Because God wants your husband to be a spiritual leader. And if you can facilitate that, it's probably what you want too. And you can facilitate that, then you need to do that. Let me tell you how it's worked in our, 
in our marriage, Cindy and I, when the, uh, we both graduated from seminary, both had a sense of calling on our lives to ministry, and we graduated from seminary, Cindy was offered a position as a Christian education director, a children's ministry director in a big church in Fort Worth, would have made more money than I would have made going to a small church as a lead pastor. But she subjected her sense of calling to my sense of calling because she knew that's how God was leading me. And so we moved from Fort Worth and went to a small church where I was lead pastor making less money and she put her career and her ministry on hold uh, to support me. I didn't ask her to do that, but she did that. And then God has given that back to her and rewarded that her as we have raised our kids. And I'm grateful for her that she stayed on my team. I'm grateful that she followed my leadership. I'm grateful that she'd been supportive of me. Um, one time a husband said to me, um, whenever I talk to my wife about submitting to me, uh, we always end up in an argument. I said, what are you doing? I said, what are you doing talking to her about submitting to you? The Bible never tells you to talk to her about submitting to you. It doesn't. We're going to get to what it says to you. It says for the wife to take on that role. You do your job. You let uh, God and her worry about her job. But wives, if you'll come on that team, God wants you to be together. He wants you to be a unified and a purpose. He wants your husband to be a spiritual leader. Would you come on that team with him? Now, it says in this verse, even if your husband's not a good spiritual leader or even if he's not a believer. Chapter 3, verse 1, let's read the verse again. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. So let me say to you, if you are a wife with a non-believing husband, you're a Christian woman with a non-believing husband, the Bible tells you in this verse not to nag him about that. Not to talk a great deal about that. Now, I believe you ought to talk to him about that. But here's what I would encourage you to do. If you have an unbelieving husband, then I would encourage you to say to him, I'm praying for you to know Christ as your Savior. That's the greatest desire of my life. That will be my prayer every day. But I will not nag you about that. But know that that is going to be the desire of my heart and I am going to serve God, and He's my Lord and Savior, and I'm praying that He would be yours, and all that I do will be pointed in that direction. And then I would tell you not to, not to talk about that very much unless He wants to talk about it. That's what this verse says. There is power in you living before Him. And I would say that would, same advice would apply if you have a believing husband, but he's not doing all that you would want him to do spiritually. And instead of nagging him, you need to be coming to church. You need to be uh, leading us in prayer. And I'm ha always having to do this. I would encourage you not to do that. I would encourage you to speak to him very clearly like that one time. This is what I long for in our marriage, in our home. This is what I want you to be. This is what I'm praying for you to be. But I will not nag you about that. Do not interpret my silence as meaning that this is not important to me. But understand my silence is that I will not nag you because the Bible says not to. And I'll seek to show you that Christ makes me a better wife and a better person. You hear what it's saying here in these verses? Wives, in the same way, submit to yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won without words 
by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of their lives, verse 2. The purity and reverence of your life is a powerful witness. Have faith in God and trust Him. We've seen from 1 Corinthians 7, there's not a guarantee that that will bring your spouse. And this would apply, of course, to either spouse. Not a guarantee it will bring your spouse to Christ, but there's powerful witness in that. And then he goes on still talking to wives. Peter says in verse uh, 3, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Wives, this Peter is saying, let your beauty shine from the character of your life. Let the your beauty come from your character primarily. Now, I don't believe that this the passage means that it is wrong for you to have an elaborate hairstyle or to wear gold jewelry or it is wrong for you to have nice clothes. But it is saying let that not be your only focus. I would compare this to where Jesus said in John 6, 27, he said, do not work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures to eternal life. Well, he didn't mean for us not to have any food, did he? No, he meant don't work only for food that spoils, but work for food that endures to eternal life. I think the same thing is here. Women, don't let your beauty be only elaborate hairstyles or only gold jewelry or only fine clothing, but let your beauty come from the inner character of your life that shines through. So ladies, I'd ask you a pointed question. Do you spend as much time cultivating inner beauty as outer beauty? Do you give as much attention to the cultivation of the beauty of your character as you do in makeup and hairstyle and nails and those things? I don't think they're wrong. But if that's the focus of your life to the exclusion of an inner beauty, then Peter would say you're missing that beauty which is of great worth in God's sight. And then in verses 5 and 6, he gives an example of these principles he's talking about, and it's sort of an odd example. He says, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You're her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So Abraham and his wife Sarah, the father of the Old Testament of the Jewish nation, God called Abraham to leave the city of Ur in Babylon and go to a land that he would show him, the land of Canaan. And Sarah, his wife, you know what she did? She went with him. Archaeologists tell us that Ur was a very developed city. Excavations have shown they had running water. They had elaborate streets. They had a sewer system. Ur was an elaborate city. Canaan was the sticks. And here God is called Abraham to leave the city of Ur and go to a land where there's no infrastructure and uh, there's wild beasts. And, she, and you, we're going where? We're going to do what? But Sarah went with him. Now, some people think, oh, these, these examples in the Bible, these are just perfect people. I could never be like that. Let me tell you the story of Abraham and Sarah. 
As soon as they got to the promised land, there was a famine there, probably a test. You know what Abraham did? He bailed out and went to Egypt. And when he got to Egypt, he was afraid somebody would take his wife Sarah away from him. So he told her to lie and say that she was his sister, not his wife, because in their culture, that would give him better status than a husband. And she went along with that. This is a messed up kind of family, I'm saying to you. And then, when God promised to them, you're going to be a father of a great nation, and they didn't have any children, so Sarah comes up with the idea of giving her slave girl to Abraham to father children that would be their descendants and tries to shortcut God's will. I'm saying to you that Abraham didn't always lead well at all, and Sarah didn't always follow well at all, but you know what? God used this imperfect couple. They stuck it out as a team. Boy, you read the story of Genesis. They had a roller coaster ride in their marriage. And you know what they did, though? Sarah stuck with him. I, I think I would have quit on him a long time ago. But you know what she did? She stayed on his team. She followed his leadership. And God greatly blessed them because of that. I don't know what God's saying to you ladies from this passage, but would you consider what God is saying about your marriage and your relationships and are you nagging and are you living with reverence is your beauty coming from the inside are you trying to be on your husband's team well let's turn to husbands we got six verses for wives and only one verse for husband you come back next week and it'll reverse okay uh, the passage we'll look at next week the the, the uh, proportion is reversed it says in verse 7 first Peter 3 7 husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. And so the summary word for husbands would be respect or some translations. I really like the translation honor. Your job is to honor your wife or respect your wife or to be considerate of your wife. Husbands, are you honoring your wife? And he speaks there of two ways to be considerate of your wife. First of all, be considerate of your wife as physically weaker. It says in verse 7, Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. The word is literally weaker vessel, which means body. So God has made men and women differently, and men are generally physically stronger than women. That's why they're are, is a WNBA and an NBA. There's an LPGA and a PGA. That's why the Boston Marathon has two different events. Generally, God has made the muscle structure and the physiology of men different from women so that they're physically stronger. Now, there are exceptions to that. I don't want to get in a fight with Serena Williams or anything. You know, there are exceptions with that. But generally, that's the case. And so because of that, Peter is saying, men, you need to be considerate of your wife as a weaker vessel not weaker in other ways but weaker physically and that means that this matter of abuse becomes heightened because just physically you're probably a little taller than your wife you you, you may tower over her you, you can be intimidating you get into arguments it should never be a question that there's that she's gonna feel threatened you talk out the problems that you have you go back and forth 
But guys, there should never be a physical element to that, whether it's towering over or getting in somebody's face, because perhaps you're more intimidated. And, and so there, there, you need to be considerate of your wife as a weaker physical vessel, he says. This matter of honor, there, there needs to, our culture has lost this sense of honoring women. And, and maybe in, uh, we've lost some of it because, you know, we used to, I used to open the door for a woman, not because that was putting her down, but to say she is worthy of greater honor. Or stand up in a room when a woman came into a room. Somebody in corporate America said you can't do those things anymore. It gives a, in corporate world, it gives the potential of power being out of balance. But some way we've got to honor, honor women in our culture, and especially in a marriage relationship, husbands, be considerate of your wives as you treat them with respect as the weaker partner. But here's the next phrase, spiritually equal weaker partner and as heirs with you are co-heirs of the gracious gift of life so it's revolutionary in that culture the bible brought revolutionary respect to women in general and to the role of a wife in particular because he is saying yes your wife is weaker physically but she is a co-heir with you of the gracious gift of life. She is your spiritual equal, and you never treat her with inferiority, he says, but as a co-heir of the gracious gift of life. And then the last phrase is really sort of surprising, and it says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Failure to be considerate of your wife, guys, he says, hinders your prayers. You see, the Bible says that the horizontal relationship that we have with others is connected to our vertical relationship with God. And if we think we're right with God when we're wrong with others, we are mistaken, he says. Remember, the Bible says, how can you love God whom you've not seen when you don't love your brother whom you have seen? That connection between the two, here it is again, guys. You, you think you're, you're going to church, you're a deacon, you're a Sunday school teacher, you think you're right with God, but at home you're not treating your wife with consideration, honor, and respect. He says that hinders your prayers. You're not right with God, and you need to get this relationship repaired so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, what if you have failed at all this? What if you're in a mess? Well, the good news of the gospel is that there's always hope. You can't undo consequences, but you can begin where you are, make a new beginning in your marriage. So I want to tell you a story. Ray Rice, Baltimore Ravens running back, February 2013, on top of the world, he helped lead his team to win the Super Bowl over the San Francisco Giants. One year later, February 2014, sort of bottom of the world, Arrested for abuse of his girlfriend, video surfaced of him dragging her out of an elevator. He suspended two games from the NFL, and then TMZ released the video that they got from somewhere of inside the elevator that showed Ray Rice punching her and knocking her unconscious with one punch. And then he was banned from the NFL. In the years since then, Ray Rice is 
tried to change his life. He spoke at Liberty University this past December, and here's what he said. He said, I take full responsibility for my actions, and I've come to repent of my sin. He said, I, I grew up without knowing what, it was, what a, a man should be like. His father was killed in a drive-by shooting when he was one year old. His uncle, that was sort of a father figure to him, was killed in a drunk driving accident when he was 10. He said, we went to church, but it was football first, family second, church third. He said, I didn't know anything of what it meant to be a man. He said, I'm not excusing what I did, but he said, I want to stop the cycle that I grew up with of verbal abuse from those who rotated through my household. And so now he's going to pastoral counseling twice a week. He's quit drinking. He says that he's turned his life around. I don't know Ray Rice's heart. He may just be lobbying to get back in the NFL. I don't know. But I know one thing. There is power in repentance that can bring the power of Jesus Christ to change any life that nobody is beyond his reach. And that if you today find yourself that you've messed up, in any role in your family, won't you call out to Jesus today who has the power to change the worst of us into a co-heir of the gracious gift of life in Jesus Christ. Wherever you are in your family and in your life today, right now, would you say, God, I've blown it in some ways. I want to ask your forgiveness and my guilt be gone, and I want to be different. And if I'm married, I want to be the husband or the wife that you want me to be. Even if I'm married to an unbeliever, I don't have the perfect spouse, but I can do what I can do to live my life of reverence and of purity. God, help me to do that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray for marriages. I pray for young people who will one day get married. And I pray, Lord, that we will model to the world a different kind of relationship, a relationship of respect and honor and purity and submission that models the Trinity to a world that needs you so much. And for those who have failed, as they repent right now, wash away their sin by the blood of Jesus, give them strength to deal with the consequences, help them to make a new beginning, and I pray you'd bring marriages together in unity that the devil would not gain any foothold in the marriages in our church, but they would honor you, bring glory to you, and good to one another. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand together with me this morning? We're going to give an invitation. If you're not a believer, you're in rebellion against Jesus Christ. He's the rightful ruler of all. And what it means to become a Christian is to submit to him, to bow your knee, to lay down your arms, to say, your way, not my way. I repent of my sin. I'll follow King Jesus. It'll make your other relationships better. And so I want to invite you to walk forward and surrender to Jesus as Lord, Savior of your life. Follow him in baptism. If you need a church home, we'd invite you here. If you want to pray about your marriage or your life or anything, there'll be somebody who'd be glad to pray with you. Let's sing together.
And thank you. Please be seated, if you will. We're going to give our offerings now and worship to God. If you have a guest card, place that in your offering plate. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. Lord, we thank you for this fellowship. Lord, we thank you for our leadership here at First Baptist in Manchester. Lord, uh, we thank you for Jesus in the home and how it aids in just everything in our relationships with our spouses, with our children. Just, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, that we ask you to uh, be with us as we go about our daily lives, that we might uh, shine for you and be an example. And Lord, we ask a, a blessing on this tithe in Jesus' name. Yeah. 
as we uh, close out our service this morning, I want to just give you a few quick things. Uh, first, if you're a first-time guest, we're so glad you're here. Our pastor would love to meet you. And so you just go out here to the Welcome Center. He has a small gift for you. He'd love to get to know you. So go by and say hello. Also, next Sunday is the deadline to sign up for Church League Softball. So if you want to be a part of that, just come by the Welcome Center. There's a place where you can sign up and get more information there. And then also this coming Thursday at 6.30 is our prayer and training meeting for the Jesus Tent. So if you're going to serve at the Jesus Tent at Bonnaroo, be sure to come out to the gym Thursday night, 6.30 p.m. for our prayer and training time. Also this Thursday with the Jesus Tent is the deadline to sign up and be guaranteed your t-shirt size, okay? We got to get our t-shirt order in, and so we got to get that in by Thursday. So if you want to make sure that if you're like an extra large and you don't want to wear a medium and look like, you know, you're a sausage casing, whatever, uh, if you want to make sure you get all that right, get your uh, registration in by Thursday. You're welcome for the laughter. All right, with that being said, let's take a moment and let's pray and close out our service. Father, I thank you for the word that we have heard. And God, I thank you for families. God, I thank you for the gift of marriage. And may our marriages be a picture of Jesus' love for the church. Lord, as we go out into our mission field this week, may we hold out that picture and may you be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoa.